Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. on Total Soccer Show, the weekly episode of this show where we dig into soccer's meatiest stories. Today, we're turning our attention back to Chelsea, whom we last covered on The Big Thing in mid-January when we asked the question, what's gone wrong for Graham Potter? Suffice to say, the story has moved on a little bit since we did that episode. (laughs) Potter was, of course, relieved of duty a little over three weeks ago. It seems like it was many years ago to me right now, but it was over three weeks ago with Frank Lampard stepping in to oversee Five straight losses, including a meek Champions League exit, as we record. The Blues sit in 11th in the league table with nothing to play for after spending nearly $700 million in the last two windows. Today, we're checking back in with Chelsea and asking what's going to come next for them. Will it be Maurizio Pochettino who next takes the reins? And if so, how's that going to go? My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, we have Taylor Rockwell. Hello, sir, Taylor. Hello, the British, media w- the British media would like you to change that from meek exit to heroic exit, if you don't mind. Uh, oh, no, not going to okay. do that. Sorry, That's British fair. media, but thank you for the uh, input there. Uh, Graham Rusman, how are you, sir? I'm very well, Ryan. How are you? I am absolutely wonderful. All the better to be talking about my favourite South West London club, Chelsea, of course. And Joe Lowry, noted Chelsea um, advocate. Hello. That's right. Number one Chelsea fan, uh, number one Frank fan. Really excited to continue to prop up Frank Lampard and the club and Todd Bowley over the course of the next 50 minutes or so. Indeed. Wonderful bit of PR we're going to be doing for Chelsea. Football yeah, club. you're in the rest of the BT Sport pundits, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my guys, Graham. Those are my guys. Oh, boy. All right, Graham. As I noted there, a lot has changed in a matter of about a month for Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to believe it was only around three weeks ago that Graham Potter left. Yeah, it is quite remarkable. And when we were thinking of what to cover on this week's Big Thing episode, Chelsea did seem like the obvious topic, given everything that's that's happening there right now. We are, though, wary of covering one club or one story too much. But you mentioned, Ryan, the last time we spoke about this in the Big Thing was January 13th. And as you say, a lot has happened since then. They have fired Graham Potter. They have rehired Frank Lampard they are now on the brink it seems of appointing uh, Mauricio Pochettino as their new manager and amidst all this they've spent an absolute fortune in two back-to-back transfer windows so it, it feels like Chelsea needs a lot of attention at this moment in time they have managed to squish about three seasons worth of content into three quarters of one season and so it's kind of difficult to avoid talking about this subject at the moment. Indeed. Taylor, I suppose we should tackle the Lampard era or this Lampard era yeah. of Chelsea. Why has it been so bad? Is it simply a case of Lampard not being really good at being a manager? 
That that may definitely be a part of it for sure. Uh, I talked to, I talked about this a little bit on a weekend review, I think episode, but just I think it's an incredibly difficult position Frank Lampard has found himself in. Uh, he is a club legend. He obviously still remains in good standing, even in his second not successful managerial stint. And I think that's why he was brought in. It's because fans are going to be more, I think kind towards him accepting of him as the interim manager than they would be others I think there's a chance that if somebody else were brought in they might already have been sacked at this point with the way the season has gone for Chelsea but it's Lampard inheriting a team that are now on their third manager of the season it's a bloated squad I think it's still unclear how you get the best out of them and how you even put the best team on the pitch and I've said it before it just feels like a team that are going through the motions because they know we've got a new manager coming in this guy won't be there he's not really going to be that involved in player evaluations maybe he will be now that they know or have a strong idea who the next permanent manager will be maybe there'll be some dialogue there but I think it's basically Lampard put in a position of nobody entirely motivated to be there and with so many players involved it's tough to get the kind of squad any sense of harmony or unity and so you see it in how even when he changes things and puts in new people or tries to bring people back into the fold it just doesn't really click it doesn't really work and you end up still getting this sort of disconnected performance did did we expect anything to change like like i guess that's that's sort of where i'm struggling with some of the discourse around chelsea right now is frank lampard comes in we we kind of have a a sample size of frank lampard's lack of sustained success as a manager we have the the sample size of chelsea this season about how much they've struggled with what we believe in Thomas Tuchel to be a world-class manager and in Graham Potter, a a young up-and-coming manager who does a lot of things well, you get to Frank Lampard and the squad is still the same and they're still in the same season. I I don't think it was really ever reasonable to expect Frank Lampard to have this major uptick in in performance. I'm not really surprised that they're struggling. I'm not really surprised that we're continuing to see them drop points. That's just kind of where Chelsea are, it seems like, this season. But Joe, is that not just nailing the whole concept of appointing a new manager? So if you do it mid-season, the squad is always going to be the same unless you have a January transfer window, of course, to to play with. Play, play with, excuse me. But the the hope, obviously, is that you get that new manager bounce. Uh, Taylor and I did a one-on-one episodes on new manager bounces, and while we can talk about the reasons behind them, they do they do seem to work they do seem to happen it's a it's a it's a, a consistent pattern um over multiple leagues over multiple seasons and Chelsea haven't had that at all I don't think Frank Lampard has necessarily done any great damage to Chelsea since he's come in and I know they've lost every single game that he's been manager of so, for so far but I also don't think he's he's helped anything um and and I think that's largely down to his lack of depth as a coach I mean I said this when he was appointed Chelsea's problems under Potter was generally speaking there was there's a lot of problems but the biggest problem was a lack of goals right Lampard's issue at Everton was his inability to construct attacking clear attacking sequences and Chelsea have that issue now now whether that is Lampard's problem or Potter's problem or the squad's problem Lampard hasn't been able to fix it I also called Lampard a misery guts when he was appointed and I still think that I mean whose spirits are being lifted by Frank Lampard moping around on the touchline and he mopes a lot during matches I do think it's possible that an interim manager arrangement could have worked for Chelsea where the groundwork is put in place for the permanent appointment in the summer and the baggage of the season so far is kind of chucked out the window as much as as possible but none of that has happened. So while I don't blame Lampard for the mess Chelsea are in now, how could I? He's only been in charge for five games. I don't think he's helped anything. <laughs> I don't think yeah. that, that appointment has achieved anything. 
I, I don't think it has either. But I think to Joe's point, I'm not sure anyone could have. Like, I think about that new manager bounce for a moment. And so often it's because you're bringing back players who have sort of been frozen out or surplus to requirement. And I think about Frank Lampard in his first training session inviting everybody back in and it almost being like the Night King in Game of Thrones when he raises the dead of just suddenly looking around and being like, there are way too many people here for me to know how to process this. <laughs> and Lampard is the Night King. It's not an analogy <laughs> I was expecting. I mean, he looked he looked pretty severe in the loss last night. Uh, and so you, you can't really bring everybody back in, but you also, I, I, I've said it before, I don't think, I think his mandate was like, try to make everybody as happy as you can. So you can't just go with your sort of core group of like, 14 players that you can trust to play the way you want to and maybe he could have but even there I think it's tough to know exactly who those people are and you end up freezing out a bunch more of the squad I just I don't think there's anyone who could have done an excellent job of this as we've already seen with Tuchel and Potter uh, but I, I do think that maybe there's somebody who could have done a slightly better job I think Frank Lampard has certainly not helped anyone's estimations of him as a manager in this uh, second stand at Chelsea for sure. Yeah, to, to to build on that, Graham, if you say it's not necessarily Frank Lampard's fault, if Maurizio Pochettino had come in at the same space, do you expect that Chelsea would have had five losses and only one goal scored? I mean, obviously it's impossible to say, but I, I would expect probably not. I think he would have done a better job. Having said that, I, and maybe we can talk a little bit more about this later on, I think Pochettino would be wise to wait until the end of the season to get hold of that that job rather than going into the mess that it is right now but I accept your point if Pochettino takes that job immediately then maybe Chelsea are in a slightly better position but in looking at the broad picture I, I don't think things change that much if he's the manager uh well that's a, a bright and rosy outlook for potential new manager Mauricio Pochettino then um Joe what do we think is, is um he does appear to be the favorite the front runner according to media reports is he the best choice at this point? I mean, presumably, as Graham says, he would be wise to wait until the summer, but Chelsea have got to try and get his name on a contract before uh, other offers come in in the summer, presumably. So now's the time for them to strike. Yeah, you'd think so. I mean, and this is where I want to hear what Taylor's thoughts are later on the show, because I know he has concerns about why has Poch been out of work for so long? Like, what, is, what on earth he does is going have those on concerns. about this? I, I don't know Poch personally or know the intimate details of his life, so no? I, I, Ryan, I don't does, really care. Yeah. street. Yeah, much about that. Yeah, that's Ryan's domain. Um, I, I think of the candidates that have been linked so far and of the ones that are still being linked, which is not a very large list, I will say, Mauricio Pochettino is probably the best candidate. So other candidates that have been linked, and we'll talk some about you know these names in, in more detail later. Vincent Company, currently managing Burnley, who will be in the Premier League next season, seems a bit too green for my liking. And I think we've sort of gone down this road a bit with Graham Potter, who has a lot more experience than Vincent Company, but but still, I would say that's not the best decision. Nagelsmann was recently ruled out after some talks between him and the club. Reports say he was never really the favorite to begin with and that Pochettino has been the favorite all along. Mm-hmm. That feels a mm-hmm. bit convenient to me, but you know, <laughs> whatever whatever we've got <laughs> yes, to do. Yes, it does. <laughs> other names that have been linked, uh, Lucho, so Luis Enrique has been linked. Um, at one point, Amarim was linked, currently managing in Portugal, and there is this mystery candidate that's floating around that nobody knows who it is. It's Lampard. <laughs> maybe it is Graham it could uh, be because he didn't maybe it is the <laughs> misery guts himself some did. former Chelsea manager from the past either way <laughs> you run through those names and, and Pochettino is the only manager who I think is truly qualified of the three that are sort of being written about in, in places like The Athletic which is company Pochettino and you know mystery box number three right so <laughs> Pochettino feels like the best option he's reportedly ticking a lot of Chelsea's boxes which I feel like are, are pretty basic things he's been in the Premier League before 
He's worked with big stars. He's developed talent. Chelsea desperately need at least the second two things. The first thing feels like a plus. So yeah, I'm, I'm sort of in the camp that we've already laid out that it seems almost impossible for me that any manager is going to come in and fix this thing immediately. I do expect Chelsea to be better next year, but man, there is a lot of work to be done here that will not just be solved by hiring Pochettino. I think it's worth outlining just how close it seems Pochettino is to this job. So while there there is that shortlist that Joe has mentioned there, uh, reports this week say that Chelsea have entered final discussions with Pochettino. Fabrizio Romano said that Chelsea and Pochettino met in Spain on Monday and that discussion went well. And Sky Sports reported on Wednesday that Chelsea are hopeful of reaching a final agreement with Pochettino by the end of the week. So it very much seems like they've sort of concluded their process of finding the manager that they want and they're now going for Pochettino and it's expected he will be the manager next season. Graham, how how long's the contract? 20 years, 30 years? <laughs> At least, yeah. I mean as long <laughs> as Enzo Fernandez is there. Oh, wow, the Enzo clause. I'm sure uh, Poch will, will like that. I mean, what do you think Graham of the candidates? I'm I'm always tempted to pick the mystery box if I'm given an option, but um <laughs> Poch Poch does seem like It's Sven. Oh no. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, from Pochettino's point of view, I look, I'm going to editorialize here. I just can't understand why he would look at the mess at Chelsea right now and think that's the right landing spot for him because it matters how this job goes for Pochettino. He he flamed out at PSG, whether that was his fault or not. And so if he, he feels here his reputation as a tier one or a tier two manager is potentially gone. In terms of the tactical overlay, I think Pochettino could work, but largely because Chelsea just don't have an identity right now. So going back to his Spurs team, which was a better reflection of Pochettino than PSG, he likes a a 4-2-3-1 shape. He uses the goalkeeper in the the build-up phase from the back. His centre-backs offer a more direct option. They play diagonal balls into the wide forwards. He pushes the centre-forward into midfield to create space for those wide forwards as well. And generally speaking... Pochettino's teams are attack-minded and they use quick transitions well. There's some good in-depth stuff on Coach's Voice on all this, and I would recommend reading it. So if if Pochettino is able to impress his own tactical identity on Chelsea, I think it could be a good appointment. The big thing that makes me nervous is how specific Pochettino is in terms of how he builds a team. I remember reports when he was at Spurs that detailed how, and I might have mentioned this before in the show, but Daniel Levy would repeatedly bring good players to Pochettino and Pochettino would refuse them because they weren't absolutely perfect for what he wanted them for. Obviously, Pochettino's entitled to to do this and maybe this was a factor in why he was able to build such a good team at Spurs. But does uh, Todd Bowley strike you as the sort of owner who will be specific in the transfer market and and deliver those players that Pochettino really wants? I am not so sure about that. And then the other thing, just one final point here, the other thing is that at Spurs, Pochettino had success when it basically cleared the decks and entrusted the, the youth who were hungry and obviously talented at the club at that time to, and he built a team around them. That's going to be very difficult at Chelsea because everyone's on eight and seven year contracts. Um, there is a lot of young talent at, at Chelsea. So I guess he could just push the, 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 the elder players to the side and use the youth. But I was reading earlier this week that Chelsea's plan is to sell all their best young players this summer to avoid being hit with an FFP punishment. So I'm not sure how all that can affect with hiring Pochettino as your manager. I forgot about the FFP thing. Uh, if you want a little bit of positivity here, uh, <laughs> Chelsea fans, here's what I will say. Um, 
Nagelsmann not getting the gig was confusing to me because it felt like he was the the front runner in my mind. He was the one that made a lot of sense. I think he is the best possible manager that's out there right now. Uh, it sounds to me, if you, you could take what uh, Chelsea have said as their explanation that they were interested in other candidates, whatever it may be. Nagelsmann, from what I have read, was frustrated by having to do multiple interviews, uh, confused, I think, by that short list and feeling like there weren't a ton of similarities between yep. the three people on it. Um, and then here's a quote that I thought was sort of a burn, but also informative. Uh, Nagelsmann said, it is important to work where the structure is clear, where there are not 20 guys all with an opinion that takes you in different directions. What that says to me is that Chelsea are the same Chelsea they've been since Todd Bowley took over, since Clearly took over. Um, that it's the same people who wanted Thomas Tuchel to have a ton of involvement in the decisions in the squad and who was being brought in, who was being let go, who they were going after. I think they want insight. I think they want the manager to consult with them. And I don't think that's what Tuchel wanted to do. It sounds like Potter tried to do that, but maybe it just didn't work out. And in Poch, it sounds like they're getting a manager who I think will do that. And maybe Graham, the the way you can spin it is that like he wants the absolutely perfect player who fits his system. And at Spurs, Daniel Levy would maybe come back with, yeah, but that guy's going to cost us 30 million more. We're, we can't make that move happen. You're going to have to get the, the, the best approximation of the player you want. And I can see a scenario in which Todd Bowley brings two potential signings to Pochettino and he says, no, I want this guy and this guy, each of whom cost 30 million more. And Todd Bowley says, yeah, sure, no problem. Uh, now maybe the, the amortization, uh, like reconfigurations will be a problem in allowing them to do that. But it does sound to me like maybe Poch is being given more license to consult and how they build the squad has been assured that there will be money to spend and that he will have more freedom to build the squad the way he wants. And so in that way, it may be a smart hire. But if Chelsea not just hired a whole bunch of front office staff, so this, this, if Pochettino had been appointed when Bowley well, first that. comes in, <laughs> when, if Pochettino had been appointed when Bowley first comes in, and the context here is that apparently Pochettino and Potter were the two candidates back in September, where Pochettino was interviewed for, for the job at that time, they went with Potter, and so now they're giving Pochettino the, a, a shot. Um, but if he'd been hired at that time, and Bowley essentially passes the kind of recruitment side of things on to Pochettino, I could see... Joe is shaking his head, but I have faith in Pochettino, right? I, I like Pochettino as a coach a lot, and, and this is maybe something that hasn't come across in what I've said about this fit so far. I, I think there is a world where that maybe works, where, where Pochettino has freedom to build his team, but they've now hired like 10 different people from Southampton and Brentford and loads of different clubs to try and build out that front office. And now they've just, ha- they're going to hire a manager who's, who doesn't really like working with a front office. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, it seems like, it seems a bit slapdash. I'm not shaking my head at you, Graham, to be clear. I'm sh- shaking my head at Chelsea, which Taylor, I love that you brought this up earlier. Is sort of what Julian Nagelsmann did, at least according to reports. Like I'm guessing you read that same Sky Sports article that was talking yeah. about how Nagelsmann mm-hmm. had reservations. Basically, you know, he thought there was a real lack of clarity about what direction that they wanted to take as a club, and that is just so obvious. Like, that's been so obvious. And this next era will be interesting to see if anything changes. Graham, you're right, they have hired folks for the front office. Does that help them? Does that further complicate things? I truly don't know the answer to that question. 
there's just no identity with this Chelsea team right now. And I also like Pochettino as a manager. You go back through and you read some some very positive things about him. Adam Lallana has, has talked about Pochettino's arrival at Southampton back in 2013. He described it as an awakening. This is a quote from, from Sky Sports. It says, he looked the part. He spoke with passion despite the language barrier. There was so much energy in the room and an immediate connection. That's Lallana talking to Sky Sports. You know, I don't doubt that Pochettino has a strong personality that can get buy-in and can do some positive things for this club. I think ultimately he would be a, a strong hire. My biggest challenge with Chelsea, though, is I just don't think one person can fix this. And I don't think this can be fixed over the course of a summer. I I just have much deeper concerns about how things are being run, what direction this club is moving towards, and if there's any clarity on what they want to be. Well, let's dig deeper into those concerns, Joseph, after a quick break to catch our breath back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our big thing. Now, Taylor, I'm house hunting at the moment. Mm -hmm. And lots of the good houses, they go immediately when they come on the market. There was one house we really liked, and it was on the market for many months. Uh, It looked really good. It had a really good history. Uh, Everything about it looked perfect. But still suspicious about it. Do you see where I'm going with this analogy at all, Taylor? <laughs> kind of. You, you, are you not sold by this appointment? My point being that Mauricio Pochettino, many big jobs have come and gone since uh-huh. he was last in the managerial market. And I yes. kind of wonder why. Obviously, it could be personal choice. Maybe he wants to take the time out. He's perfectly entitled to do so. But is there, is there something in the basement? It's what I'm wondering, and and I and maybe that is totally unfair, and I'm speaking well out of school. I may well be, but I think it's because Poch, as soon as he leaves Spurs, felt like he's going to land wherever he wants. He's an incredible manager. He has worked wonders with Tottenham. I think that is still the case. He goes to PSG. It doesn't work out. He's sacked by PSG. That happens to a lot of very good managers. I don't put a ton of stock in that other than that, you know, he he gets his first foray into like getting huge egos and how you have to handle that. And I think he probably had some egos at Tottenham. But since then, he's been linked with so many gigs. Now, I will say it hasn't like lined up as much as I thought, where I thought it was like, oh, Real Madrid have hired two managers since then. They haven't. Bayern Munich have hired two managers since then. They haven't. It's only been the one. And I think the timing has often been wrong. But I think about Manchester United, where he, to me, felt like the slam dunk appointment, that's who they're going to go for. That's the guy who's going to make them better, get them playing exciting football. And they don't. They go with Eric Ten Hag, who doesn't have Premier League experience. And maybe there's contractual demands. Maybe Pochettino wanted certain demands about the transfer market. 
it's not as though Eric Ten Hag has been shut down in terms of the players that he's wanted for the amount that they've had to spend. And so there starts to feel, as you said, there's just that, like, why, why is it still on the market? Why hasn't someone come in and snatched it up? Maybe it's that he wants to be back in the Premier League. We've seen that with Unai Emery. He, he had a point to prove about how I can be a Premier League manager. It's, it's the biggest league in the world with the most money. I want to go in there and prove that I belong and prove I can succeed. That might be the case with Pochettino. But even looking at Chelsea, they, they go after him initially, and I think he'd already committed to PSG, so it doesn't work there. But the idea that he was on the short list of two, and they went with Graham Potter before even interviewing him, maybe that's just Todd Bowley being like, nope, this is the guy I've decided it's who I want, and that could well be the case. But that they've already had multiple interactions with him and not hired him does make me sort of confused as to why now is the time. And maybe it's a Pochettino who's been waiting. Maybe it's a Chelsea who needs somebody to just come in and, and build the squad the way he wants with the vision he has. But there, there is something in my mind that feels basically to bring it home a little bit like when Jose Mourinho gets appointed at Manchester United, that he was the manager that it felt like they were going to appoint after Sir Alex Ferguson. He has the reputation. He has the significant like history and background in the league and outside of the league. And then they don't. They go with David Moyes, and that doesn't work out. And they go with Louis Van Hall, and that doesn't work out. And then Mourinho comes in, and it feels like, oh, okay, they finally kind of gone with the obvious hire and then it still kind of doesn't work out. They come close. They have some success. But ultimately, he is sacked. I don't think or know that that will be the case here, but I see similarities in like, okay, they finally brought in the guy that they originally wanted, but at the same time hasn't fully convinced elsewhere, hasn't fully convinced in certain other interviews, and now here they are. I have some concerns. I I think a factor in this is that this has been the longest season ever. There is that. (laughs) So Pochettino this time last year is in work as as, as PSG manager. So he's actually only been out of work for less than a season. And if I break down the jobs that have, until you've kind of done this already, but break down the jobs that have come and gone. So we had Man United last summer, we had Chelsea earlier this season, Bayern Munich and Tottenham. They're kind of the, the big elite Super League jobs, if you want to call them that, that have that have come up. And at Man United, he's on that two-man shortlist. It's between him and uh, Ten Hag, as you mentioned, then Chelsea. He was never really linked with Bayern, so maybe that's one that um, is a black mark against them. Then Tottenham, we've seen all the links that were there and how, how strong they were. Spurs also tried to get Poch back before they got Conte. They went to PSG in the summer of... Uh, what summer was that? 2021, and they tried to release him from uh, his PSG contract then. So he has been close to big jobs. Um, and as I say, it's only a season that he's been out of work. I also think if the Real Madrid, Real Madrid job were to come up this summer, he's on a two or three man shortlist for that. I think it's the same with the, the, the Juventus job. So I think there are questions around Poch where he hasn't taken that next step after getting to a Champions League final with Spurs and all that he did there in, in his first spell. And at that time, I felt like he was on the brink of joining Klopp and Guardiola as truly one of the best managers of, of his generation. I don't think he's taken that next step, but I, I do think he will. He, he deserves another chance after PSG because PSG are PSG and Tuchel was yep. able to take that next step after he left PSG. And I think Pochettino, there's a chance, maybe not at Chelsea, uh, this Chelsea at least, but there's a chance he could still do that in his career, I think. And so, Ryan, to continue your analogy with all that said, like, so it does feel like maybe there's a crack in the foundation that other people have discovered. Because you're right, there is. It is always off-putting when in the market, the housing market as it is, when there's been a house on there for like a year that seems like it's priced appropriately, you start to get nervous. 
But similarly, it, this happens in like the NFL draft sometime is a consensus, very good player doesn't get picked where it, he's expected to. And then maybe other teams have already started making their plans or they're sort of already interested in, in a certain player or a certain couple players. That player starts to fall and there's no real reason behind it. But I think sometimes it is, oh, well, we assumed he'd be gone. We didn't really look at him. And also, if everyone else is passing... There must be something wrong. We're going to pass too. And I think that is equally possible with Pochettino. So it could be something's wrong. It could just be a perception. I would say there's also a distinct possibility that with the way things ended at Spurs and then the way things ended at PSG, that Pochettino has a very clear idea of what he wants, what his demands are going to be, how he wants things to go, and has met with clubs who haven't either satisfied that or agreed to that. And now I think Chelsea, at the low point they are at, do not have nearly the the negotiating capacity that they used we'll to. They don't have the cachet. Whatever you want, we'll give you it. <laughs> exactly. Posh will just show up and go, money, please. And <laughs> yeah, and I and I don't think that's just for him. I'm sure he will be well remunerated, but I'm sure that is also for guarantee me that you have a budget to buy me the players I want. I'm sure part of that has been I can find a way to make this guy work and this guy work and this guy work. People you've already spent a ton of money on. We're going to make it all happen. Um, A very interesting thing away from this, I will say, is that Chelsea have a period of, I think, two weeks. uh, The Athletic had a whole thing about this where they can still sell players uh, domestically, they can move them in the with it two Premier League clubs uh, before the window like fully opens. I guess the transfer window, and those would count on the current year's books. So if they're able to move players now, uh, they can then have less of a hit and more flexibility. I believe uh, so. Maybe getting Pochettino in allows them to move some players on, have a good idea of who isn't going to fit in there. So there are positive possibilities. I just think there are also still some pretty strong red flags in there as well. I suppose, Graham, we've been asking, is Pochettino the best fit for Chelsea? But the more important question is, is Chelsea the best fit for Pochettino then? Is that the summary we can make here? Yeah, because I'm not totally convinced that Chelsea... I think when you go into a club, you want a, a, a predetermined idea of what that club stands for and whether you what you stand for as a manager meshes with that. And there's just no framework with Chelsea whatsoever. At the moment, um, I do think in principle, Chelsea kind of contradicting myself a little bit here, but I think they're in a similar position to where my United were last season, where I don't think the identity is going to come from executive level. So they need a manager who can offer that through the strength of his own personality. Mm. And my United found that through um, Eric Ten Hag. So Chelsea at this point essentially need an Eric Ten Hag. The, the identity needs to come from the head coach, because as I say, it's not going to come from anywhere else at that club right now. Um, and I think there is... Pochettino will probably look at this season almost in a positive light for him personally because the bar is so low, Chelsea likely to finish in the bottom half of the Premier League table, which I did not see coming this season. But also, Tuchel and Potter and now Lampard have all failed before him with similar issues. The issues have never been clearer at Chelsea than they are right now. And so that theoretically should make Pochettino's job easier, particularly if he has the level of freedom from Bowley that we, we expect he might have. Yeah, and, and Graham, that's where I struggle sort of to get my head around some of all this, because I agree with you. I think if Chelsea are going to develop an identity, it seems clear, at least given what we know from the Todd Bowley clear Lake era so far, that it's not coming from the top, right? It, it's not coming in a sporting sense from the very top of the pyramid inside the club. So I think in some ways it's going to be on the manager to set up a, a style 
and an approach that then trickles down into recruitment and then trickles down into other areas of the club. And that's that's a lot of responsibility, but I do think that we see that in other areas around the world from top managers. So that doesn't feel impossible. My question is, like, why hasn't that already happened? Like, they've gone out and hired two managers so far this season, or, or for this year. They've had two managers that have a style, that have an identity, that have a vision for how they want to play, that have a vision, presumably, for what kind of players they want, that have a vision for how they should be involved in the club, for how a club should work. Like, I, I don't understand where the disconnect is. Thomas Tuchel's already been here. He's got one of the strongest tactical identities in the world, and that didn't work. Graham Potter's come in. He's developed an identity and, and sort of been a part of really clubs that have punched above their weight for quite some time between Sweden and England. Like, is Pochettino magically going to snap his fingers and, and be different? Is he unique enough? Like, I, I guess I'm struggling in my mind to figure out how much any of this really matters with Chelsea right now. I think a large part of this is Todd Bowley and whoever was making that decision at Chelsea over Graham Potter didn't actually have a good idea of what Graham Potter's identity as a coach was. And so you speak to Brighton fans who watched him develop that Brighton team. The way Chelsea were playing this season and the issues that they had, particularly in the final third, was very similar to the issues that Brighton had in Graham Potter's first season. I don't have the information in front of me, but if you, I'm pretty sure if you go through where they finished in the Premier League that season, the, their goals, the, their, 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 their basic statistics, their redu reductive numbers, you will, it wasn't very impressive at all. I remember the debate around that time being, well, is Graham Potter any better than Chris Hutton was for Brighton? Then what happened was he established that platform and Brighton really accelerated from that point. So I think what happened with Graham Potter and Chelsea was they decided they didn't actually like Graham Potter's identity. And Pochettino is a much more attack-minded manager than, than Graham Potter is. So I think it's a course correction from them. It does, it's not a good look from them. I'm not defending Chelsea here to, to change course three times in a season and four times if you include Frank Lampard as well. But I think that is what ha what has happened is Chelsea never really had a, a firm grasp of the sort of coach Graham Potter was and what he would do. And so they just wanted a change. They didn't want Potter in charge anymore and they want Pochettino now. Something we haven't actually asked, I suppose, in this, in this episode yet, Graham, is if you were Chelsea, would you Stellini Lampard right now? No, because I don't think it matters. <laughs> they're not playing for anything this season, so I, 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 what, I don't think they're going to achieve anything by doing that right But they right get now. ahead of the line if they want Pocho, I suppose, right? You can still hire him, though, and not have him coach this season, I think, which is where I would, I would yeah, maybe so, lean sorry, towards. Maybe, maybe I misunderstood what you're, you're asking. You're talking about bringing in Pochettino now or just sacking Lampard? Both. Right, so I would not bring in Pochettino now because... I think, well, the, the most obvious thing is there's going to be a summer transfer window for him to play with and he can, he can mould his squad at the end of the season. I also think the, 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 the baggage around Chelsea right now, I'm not a sports psychologist, but a, a sports psychologist would say, I imagine, that Chelsea needs some closure on this season. And so there's a, there's a risk that if you bring in Pochettino now, you create, and the issues continue this season, you create a bridge between this season and next season and then Chelsea mm. never get closure on this season so I don't think there's much point to sacking Lampard now to Stellinying him because what's the point Chelsea are going to have a bad Premier League finish anyway they're not in any cup competitions anymore and I also think they should just hang fire on Pochettino to give him the best possible chance this summer of actually impressing his kind of own identity on the team Graham that's a really interesting and I think solid point because I was 
sort of confused as to why you wouldn't just bring in Potch now. And, and maybe at the very least, you bring him in, you keep Lampard there, you let Lampard coach, Potch is evaluating. And, but then all of a sudden, it's like Potch is sitting in the stands. If you're Frank Lampard, you're like, hey, there's the next coach. Still listen to me, though? And, and I think you're right. There's a possibility that like Pochettino comes in as a breath of fresh air. Everybody's really excited. Everybody feels better, and you end the season on a positive note. But there is an equally or much more likely risk that it's just the same thing. And now instead of getting everybody leaves for the summer, they get a break, they come back in fresh, they've had their vacation, and now there's a new manager and everyone's excited that you could sort of taint Pochettino already by having him take charge, things continue as they are. And then it's just like, well, I guess it's going to be more of the same when I come back. Great. Like I think there's a possibility it could go well. There's a larger possibility it could go poorly. So that does make sense, even if I am still inclined to say, like, just make the make the decision, get him in there and see what happens. I can see how that would probably not be smart. Any idea, Taylor, why the narrative is completely Pochettino to Spurs at the moment, Pochettino to Chelsea, excuse me, and not Pochettino to Spurs? What he was there was a, a school of thought that he would go back to Tottenham. That seems to be completely out of the window. Why do we think that is? I mean, my I don't really know. My my honest assumption would be that I, we thought Nagelsmann was going to Chelsea. I thought that was what was going to happen. Nagelsmann would go to Chelsea, and then Spurs would have sort of like the, the pick of who else was left. I think they were willing to wait and do a sort of lengthier search and interview more candidates, and then things have gone the way they've gone uh, for Cellini at, at Spurs. And, and so when Nagelsmann also then kind of falls off the shortlist or takes himself off, off the shortlist, depending on who you're listening to, uh, then I think Chelsea have more financial flexibility uh, to go after Pochettino and to make that happen. And I think also everything we've seen from Todd Bowley is that they're going to make swift and decisive action, whether or not it, it ends up being the right action, whether or not it ends up being hiring their biggest rivals, maybe most famous coach of the of the last or of like recent memory, which the Athletic did a really good piece about how like I think they did a poll and the majority of Chelsea fans, I think over 50 percent said that Spurs is their biggest rival. So there is baggage coming in for Pochettino and there is, I think, some trepidation, some hesitation about having your rival's successful manager come in and. I, I, you know, I think he has to hit the ground running and I think he has to convince some people pretty quickly. Otherwise, that baggage is only going to get weightier. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, let's look at a future for Chelsea under Pochettino, what the team would look like, what they would do going forward. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to the big thing. Joe, let's presume that Mauricio Pochettino gets this job. What does the team look like? What does the team philosophy look like? Can we look forward to Conor Gallagher and Galo Conte and Raheem Sterling up front every week as we've seen in uh, at least a few recent games? 
I would say no to that question. So Graham kind of went through some of Pochettino's style and, and tactical stuff earlier on. So, you know, I, I don't know that th- this foundation setting needs to be super long, but mostly back four stuff. Although at Tottenham, we saw some back three as well in terms of shape. I think Pochettino has a preference to the back four, either a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3 with a number six and two kind of free eights in, in the same line ahead of them than defending in either a 4-4-2 or a, a 4-1-4-1. So again, some back three as well. So that, that could look like a 3-4-3. Three, three. I would say that's the most likely look in that three center back shape. But I mean, he's flexible, right? In so many ways, Pochettino plays roughly similar soccer to a lot of the world's biggest managers, right? You can throw out the same buzzwords for Tuchel as you can for Pochettino, as you can for Nagelsmann, as you can for Pep and Klopp and blah, 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 right? I mean, there are differences between all of them. And one of the hallmarks of Pochettino's team with Tottenham was how aggressively they pressed and he really brought like this new up-tempo kind of style that was reliant on ball possession and pressing in a very modern way and brought Tottenham into this new era. Then he goes to PSG and he has to bend to the squad because in that squad he had Messi, Neymar, Anel Di Maria, Kylian Mbappe. So at times we saw a 4-2-3-1 with all, th- all four of those players sort of interchanging and up top and, and they really couldn't press in the same way. And in other moments, we saw a 4-3-3 with those you know, big three stars up top, and they really couldn't press the same way. So it will sort of depend on what his squad looks like, should he get this job, and, and should he have some say over what this team looks like or how many players they have to offload or whatever that is going to be. But in general, those are the principles. They want to build. They want to press. They want to be aggressive. They want to play soccer that's on the front foot. Pochettino's talked about that. He's talked about how that fits his personality. I would be very surprised if we saw any major deviations from those themes with Chelsea. Is there any, Graham, any particular players who would thrive in the Poch system, do we think, at Chelsea? Is it lazy of me to think that Enzo Fernandez could uh, be boosted by this, being that they're both, you know, former Argentinian, well, current and former Argentinian national team players, central Argentinian players. One of them has had their passport taken off of them. Um, (laughs) I I think there is a chance that Enzo does well in their Poch scene. I'm not sure their their shared nationality has anything to do with that, but I look at... Um, I think I might have mentioned this. I can't remember what show it was this week, but I kind of drew a comparison between Mr. Dembele and Enzo Fernandez. And look, it's not a perfect comparison because Mr. Dembele, I'd argue, is a little bit more of a ball carrier than, or was more of a ball carrier than Enzo Fernandez. But I can see Enzo maybe performing a similar role in that midfield. Actually, I think if you look through the Chelsea squad and team in general, there there is quite a lot of uh, overlap between what Chelsea, uh, what, Pochettino, excuse me, tends to look for in a team and what Chelsea might be able to offer him. So I mentioned he likes a goalkeeper that can contribute to the possession play, build up play from the back. Well, Chelsea have Kepa. I mean, there's some questions over his actual goalkeeping ability, but in terms of distribution and playing out from the back, he's capable. Um, I think Koulibaly, Fofana and even Thiago Silva are capable at playing kind of direct diagonal balls as well into wide forwards. The midfield, I think, is going to be where a lot of the focus is um, because he does like to have that sort of three-man midfield. And while Enzo Fernandez looks like a good fit, I'm kind of struggling to find other players in that Chelsea midfield that might work for Pochettino in terms of finding the balance. And that was one of the first things he did at Spurs was he used players like um, Dembele, Wanyama, Believe it or not, Eric Dyer, when he played in central midfield, I think he was much more comfortable in central midfield. He contributed to that team. Christian Eriksen as well for a bit of creativity, although he would play wide quite often under under Portstino. So I think the midfield's going to be a big focus. Hey, Graham. I think the number nine position as well. On you go, Taylor. Can I jump in with the midfield for a moment? Is there a chance that the midfield we saw Lampard run out against Brentford is a midfield that works for Pochettino of 
Enzo as like like sitting deepest, being the kind of playmaker. Enzo, I should add, very very annoyed to not get the ball more often than when Chelsea would go back to the center backs, back to the goalkeeper. You could see him getting really frustrated. I think he wants the ball. I think he wants to conduct things. So Enzo Fernandez as your six with Kovacic and Conte as your roaming number eights. Could that be a look for Pochettino? Is Connor Gallagher in this in this equation though? Because I'm looking at the team right now and no. It, so it, was it sort of like a box midfield that they used against Brentford? That's what I, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wouldn't not I wouldn't naturally associate a box midfield with Pochettino, but I'm I'm sure he's probably used it at some point. I can't account for every match that he's well, been a manager. I, I just for, mean but. specifically those three midfielders. Could you put them into that four three three that Poch likes? Remove the attack for a moment and just have those three midfielders. Could that be the way he goes? Yeah, potentially. I mean, you you would probably need a creator coming in from a wide position like he used uh, Christian Eriksen for that Spurs team. I'm not entirely sure where the creativity is coming from. I mean, Colin Gallagher, is he much of a a creator? I think he's more of a goal threat, to be honest. So I think they're still lacking in a, in a, in a creative sense. But I think the biggest problem for, for mm-hmm. Pochettino with this team, and it's been the problem for... Tuchel and uh, and Potter and now Lampard is that old number nine position for Chelsea. Where obviously at Spurs he had a he had a Harry Kane. You might have heard of him to use in that team. And Chelsea don't really have a player, even if they bring back Lukaku. And look, I'm a big fan of Romelu Lukaku, but in terms of his possession play and his ability to facilitate, as Kane did and still does for Spurs, he's nowhere near that level. So that's going to be an issue. So would we expect that that would be a condition fact for Poch coming back, that there's uh, more spending should Chelsea want to do that? If FFP allows, I imagine that, yes, he would like... I mean, what manager doesn't want more spending, whether it's good for I them mean, or not? Every the manager spot, wants more spending. I mean, specifically to solve that issue. Yeah, I, it would be quite interesting if Chelsea went in for Harry Kane this summer. I wonder what happens if, if, if that materialises. Does Kane want that move? I mean, I imagine Daniel Levy would want £200 million for that, but he's, he's Todd Bowley might be obliged to pay £200 million. Graeme, he's too old for an eight-year contract. I don't think, uh, don't think that You want to bet? <laughs> well, I don't actually. I do not want to bet on that at all. Uh, Joe, what do, you, what do you think about that? What, any, any players who particularly thrive in the Poch system? Yeah, Kane and Son are the, the first two that pretty much always come to mind. Graham, you mentioned Dembele. I think there are a handful of players. When you look at this Chelsea squad, it seems pretty clear to me what areas need strengthening. It's it's really not so much the midfield. It is much more adding clarity around the number nine spot. And I like Kai Havertz. It just seems like it's never fully worked at Chelsea. And maybe it's time for them to look somewhere else. Aubameyang is very clearly not the answer in that spot. And then you think about center back. And as much as I like Kaldo Koulibaly, he's on the wrong side of 30. Thiago Silva's on the wrong side of 30. You know, they either need more players there or they just need to trust the players they've already gone out and signed, right? They need to trust the the young French players that they've gone out and already brought into the squad. So those are the two areas that I, I look to Chelsea really needing. And I, I would imagine that they'll probably look within the squad for the back line and they'll probably look outside of the squad for someone in the front line. And, and yeah, I love the Harry Kane shout. I, I would be pretty surprised if it happened, but you can't really say he wouldn't help this team. Like, I think it's pretty clear that he would bring something valuable. So, I don't know. Chelsea squad in general, and we talked about this on a listener question show not too long ago, is just so bloated and so unmanageable. It's yeah. There's just a whole bunch of stuff that needs to be sorted through. Not, not to labor this point too much, but if Chelsea are able to spend £200 million in this transfer window, if FAP allows that, 
go and just put that money on Harry Kane. Like I think that improves this team and this squad better than going than going out and signing another five or six players. It's just putting Harry Kane in that attacking lineup and then working with the players that they already have. I mean, you look at the defensive the defensive ranks that this Chelsea squad has. I know their defense hasn't really be, hasn't been great this season. But Ben Chilwell, left back, Reese James, right back, and then a, a selection of Badiashil, Fofana, Silva, Koulibaly, um, I'm probably missing other players as well, Azpilicueta's in there. I have to imagine that somewhere in there is an effective defensive line. So just settle on that and work on the chemistry and go and be smart about one or two players that you add to this team. We, we did that episode, or we answered that list of question a while ago about... Uh, assembling a Chelsea team of like the the players who seem surplus to requirements. So I'm I'm looking at it now, and if you're Spurs, would you take like Ruben a package of Ruben Loftus Cheek, Romelu Lukaku, and Hakim Ziyech for Harry Kane? Like you could really run through a number of different options when it comes to swapping a bunch of players. I'm sure Todd Bully would rather sell some of those names, but you do have some room to work with if you were going to go with like a three or four what? player swap. Yeah, what's going to happen here? This is going to be the post the post bail Spurs transfer activity where they end up with like ten players. Yeah, for Gareth exactly. Bale. I, th- I don't think any of those players actually were successful for Spurs. I think Nasser Chadley was the closest to being a success, <laughs> which isn't a great precedent. But yeah, I can't remember if Clint Dempsey is considered one of those, and if so, then he was a massive success. How dare you? <laughs> of course, um, Taylor. Looking ahead to this summer, I'm going to throw another clunky analogy at you if you're ready mm-hmm. for it. Love it. When Steve Jobs came to Apple, I don't talk about this brand or company very much, but um, when he came in, well, second time when he came in, that what said what he said that he did was that was genius. Is he looked at the product line, the product mix, then there was too much, it was bloated, and he took a thirty percent, seventy percent view. He took got rid of the seventy percent that wasn't making money and kept the thirty percent that was and focused on that. So, do we think that Poch- did you get that from the Ashton Kutcher film about this subject? What Ashton? Oh no. Hang on, isn't there, there's two, isn't there? Wasn't there's there one two. with there's um, two. There's two. One of them asking Kutcher's in. And one of them has Michael Fassbender. Yeah. I know where I would put my money, even if neither one is particularly good from what I understand. I only saw the Fassbender one. That mm-hmm. may tell you what you need to know about that scenario. But um, my, my point being, Taylor, is there, a, is there a chance that Poch comes in and does a job, so to speak, uh, and, and cuts the wheat from the chaff of the Chelsea squad, focuses on the players he wants? What does this summer look like, do you think? Is there more exits or entries? He does look good in a black turtleneck, so we should start there. I yep, feel like yep. that kind of so does... So Didn't work for him. Oh, now you got <laughs> me. Okay, no more black turtlenecks. That's out the window. No more of that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that would be the smartest approach. I, th- I think you don't want to come in with an idea of, nope, you will not fit. Uh, but I think that's where maybe getting him as the official manager and then letting him not even like be in the training ground, but just sort of evaluating talent. Maybe he does some informal interviews and then maybe in the summer, that's where he's having more conversations with players and figuring out if they fit the mentality. I think in preseason, you've got to give people opportunities to shine or show that they belong. Cause otherwise it's a very easy stick with which the media will beat you that like you said, these guys weren't good enough and now they're all scoring goals and playing well for their other clubs. So I think he'll give players opportunities, but I do think by the by the end of the window next year, a, a strong sign for Chelsea would be if it is a sort of core group has been established that Pochettino trusts. And even if other players haven't been moved on, if they're not training with the first team or if they're allowed to kind of do what they want because they don't fit with what he wants or they don't have the mentality or style he needs. Yeah, I think that would be the smartest way to go about it. I think Pochettino should not be beholden to the amount that Chelsea have already spent. That feels 
like an approximation of the sunk cost fallacy. I think it needs to be, look, I know you all spent this money, but these guys aren't good enough. These guys are. I'm going with these guys. Sell them if you want to, but I won't be playing them. I think that's the hard line he probably has to take if he wants to exert more control and not end up in 12 meetings a day with different Chelsea personnel who all have different ideas about marketing strategies and signings and the like. I think he has to kind of streamline things if he wants to keep his sanity. Yeah, see if you go back to Pochettino's Spurs team in 2018-19, which was the season that they made the Champions League uh, final. In the Premier League, there are only 16 players who started over 10 Premier League games that season, which suggests, now that could be down to Spurs not giving him the squad that he wants. There's two ways to read this. But the other way to read it is that he likes to have a lean squad to work with. And obviously, Chelsea have the complete opposite of that right now. So a lot yeah. of work ahead of him. Maybe it's going to Steve Jobs it then, Graham. We will see. We Perhaps. Will see. We do know that uh, if Poch does take charge uh, for the summer, he's going to have a wonderful opportunity to um, swap notes with one of the best managerial minds in the game when Chelsea face Wrexham, of course, in North Carolina. Phil Parkinson and Poch on the same touchline. Can you imagine it, Graham? It's going to be wonderful. No, I can't imagine it, but that's what I've got Hulu for. So, <laughs> Yeah, tune in for that one, uh, for sure. I suppose my, my final question, I suppose, Joe, for this episode is what would it take for a manager to succeed at Chelsea this summer and going forward? Can any manager do this job or are they going to be hamstrung by the situation? I mean, presumably they're going to get out of the woods at some point, right? Yeah, presumably. I, I think it's going to take time. And I've said that a couple of times on this show to the point where I'm really struggling to see how much any of this matters like that. That was my biggest issue in preparing for this show and sort of still my biggest takeaway now that we've done it is like, man, Pochettino is a, a big character in the soccer sphere. He's got a lot of work to do. If he gets this job, Chelsea have a lot of work to do. And I don't think there's one person out there that's going to solve their mess. I, I it, it will take clarity in terms of the squad. It will take trimming the fat. It will take establishing some sort of financial Security, it will take identifying a game-changing central attacking force or turning Kai Havertz into that force. It will take identifying a reliable center-back pairing. It will take either going out and finding a new goalkeeper or, Graham, I know you mentioned Kepa as the guy. You know, It will take Kepa being a very good above-average shot-stopper and capable distributor. Like It's a lot of ifs right now for this Chelsea team. It's almost impressive how quickly things have snowballed, but it's going to be up at least partially to Pochettino to try and, you know, get to the center of that snowball sooner rather than later. Oh, I don't know, Taylor. If, if I was Poch, I would just run away from this scenario. <laughs> Who runs headfirst into this, I suppose, is my question. A person who's being very well compensated and has yeah. been assured that he doesn't have to attend a ton of meetings. Uh, that would be my hope. I really do hope that Pochettino That's doesn't a have a, a crack in the foundation, but has instead just been unfairly overlooked does have the control that I think is needed to exert authority on this squad and does turn things around because I, I like having Pochettino in the Premier League. I like having uh, getting to watch his teams and I think it makes it for a feistier league and it could go very well. Again, I think that there are... I was more optimistic than I think the three of you were about when Todd Bowley's initial takeover. I am no longer optimistic about that. And I think the first season has been a disaster. I really do think this could not have gone worse. They're on their third manager. They've got this huge squad, this huge spend. They're going to have financial penalties. No one seems particularly happy. So they kind of have to get this next season right, or they quickly become basically a laughingstock. And, and I think... 
empowering Pochettino and then getting out of his way is the best way that they can do that. And just trusting a manager to see the season out, even if they're seventh at the end of the year, I think you have to kind of give him some time to get things right. And I hope that they are, uh, uh, I guess just reserved in their approach next season, as opposed to if it uh, doesn't start swimmingly, that they sack him six games in. Yeah, be nice to Poch, Chelsea. I like Maurizio Pochettino as a, as a person, rather, like more than just like a coach. I like listening to him talk about football. Yeah. So be you, nice to him. You like him in that turtleneck, don't you? I do indeed. I just heard Taylor refer to ask Chelsea to be reserved in their approach. It made me <laughs> chuckle. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> that's all. Uh, yeah, I mean, let's hope it all works out wonderfully for Chelsea because. Lord knows the most important people at the club really need a break here. Of course, I'm talking about the Clear Lake Capital Investment yeah, Group. We of hope course. it pans out well for them. Uh, in the meantime, listener, thank you very much for joining us on this one. Taylor Rockwell, a pleasure to hear your insight on all things Chelsea Chelsea. A pleasure to chat with you, my friend. Likewise, Graham Rutherford, thank you very much, sir. Thank you, Ryan Bailey, a bully beer to you. <laughs> and to you, my good man, Joseph Lowry. Thank you, my good man. Thank you, Ryan. And thank you, listener, most of all, for joining us once again. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. Let us know what you think about this subject and any subject you like. But for now, bye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.